Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Defend the lowly and fatherless. Render justice to the afflicted and needy. That is Psalm 82, verse 3. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Grateful to be with you today as we round out National Adoption Month. And we have another wonderful guest with us today. Uh, Before we get to her, I would like you to check out this wonderful resource for adoptive and foster parents. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. In addition to our Hope for the FASD Journey support group, We've got some online and in-person training workshops available for you. Uh, Upcoming, uh, to finish out the year, we have a one-hour Lunch and Learn uh, introduction to FASD that is going to be on Wednesday, December 13th at noontime Eastern, uh, Eastern Standard Time. So we'll be exploring the primary, secondary, and tertiary symptoms of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Uh, as well as exploring a little bit of the neurobehavioral model, a brain-based approach to supporting and providing accommodations to help our kiddos um, who were prenatally exposed to alcohol. This is a great workshop for, uh, for foster and adoptive parents, but also for anyone working with your children from youth group leader at church or Sunday school teacher, school teachers, grandparents, babysitters, next door neighbors, anyone who is spending any kind of time with your kiddos at all. It just really helps them to understand um, a brain that works differently. Um, And even if it was because of trauma um, or prenatal exposure, uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful resource. So I hope that you will check that out. Um, You can sign up for the the Lunch and Learn or any of our workshops. Look for what's coming up soon on our website. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes so that you can easily find that. But it is at justicefororphansny.org. And you'll see a tab at the top of the homepage that says FASD. So you'll check that out. Um, Also, please make sure that uh, if you haven't done so yet, that you subscribe or follow this podcast. We are also now releasing the video version of this podcast. So um, if you haven't gone over to YouTube or wherever you watch your your video podcasts, check us out. Make sure you follow or subscribe there as well. We greatly appreciate it because it makes the podcast more um, acceptable 
not acceptable, accessible to folks who may be searching for a podcast about adoption or foster care. Um, when you leave those reviews and when you follow it, um, it just helps us to, to that, the algorithm. So that way it's um, easier to find. It'll pop up for people who are searching for it. So all those preliminary things aside, now to our guest. Um, excited to have with us today, Heather Dyer. Heather and her husband, Graham, recently completed a four and a half year international adoption. Can't wait to hear more about that, um, an adoption journey. And um, they're thankful to be parents of a beautiful daughter. Through this adoption journey, they, um, the Lord opened Heather's eyes to the complex plate of orphans are facing today. Uh, Heather sees the vital role the church plays in supporting family-based care and the great impact a supportive community can have on the lives or in the lives of children. As a passionate adoptive mother, Heather is committed to helping children find loving families and understands the importance of taking a holistic approach to orphan care. And she's the executive director of A Family for Every Orphan, a Christian organization that helps orphans find care in safe and loving families in their home countries. So please welcome to the show, Heather Dyer. Hi, Heather. Hi, Sandra. I am thrilled to have you on the show. We've been talking up a storm before we even hit record. So <laughs> we decided we let our listeners now in on the conversation. Um, I'm excited to hear about your family's adoption story because we just I just found out we've both adopted from Ukraine. But before we get to that part of it, what inspired you? What led you to want to adopt, to pursue caring for orphans? Sure. You know, um, really since a young age, I always just felt it was a calling. And my husband and I were kind of working our 20s and into our mid-30s away and just kind of looked up and said, oh, my goodness, we want to have, you know, a family. And, and I knew right away that I wanted to first pursue adoption. And, um, you know, David Platt's um, famous quote about once you look into the eyes of a child in need, nothing is ever the same. And I had, as a child, done um, ministry alongside my church who has um, missions folks planted in other um, nations and had um, been exposed to children in need of families and um, impoverished families that need support to keep their families. And, you know, again, just meeting those children and just seeing the need um, really, it's what drove my passion and my um, desire to just know for certain that adoption was going to be a part of my plan and feeling called to it. I love your heart, Heather, because I know for us, we didn't have adoption on our radar at all. We started with a, a kinship placement with a, a little girl in our family that needed a home. So we obviously opened our, of course, we'll do it, you know, orphans and widows, we'll do that. Um, but it was actually going, our church was very involved in uh, missions. Our the, the, the senior pastor, his daughter was a missionary with YWAM in Kiev, Ukraine. So our church was taking trips over there once a year. Um, and a lot of times doing work in orphanages. And I went on one of those trips and I, I was never the same again after seeing that, you know, children in an orphanage without families and um, my heart was wrecked. And I knew, knew we were being called to adopt and I knew I had no other, there was no other country that ever even crossed my mind. I knew it had to be Ukraine. Most people 
after that, if they came to me and said, I think I want to adopt from Ukraine, I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I would recommend it <laughs> yes. because it's so hard. But what led you and Graham to choose Ukraine? Yeah. So, you know, we didn't have a preference between domestic foster care or international um, adoption. It was really just a, a deep prayer of my heart to say, Lord, show us show us how you want us to build our family and do this. And um, I kid you not, two days after I prayed this very deep prayer, one that we had been praying for years, but for whatever reason, it felt like the most earnest I had ever prayed it. And um, my mom called me and said, hey, I know that um, you and Graham have been, you know, wanting to adopt or like start that journey. And I think when you come home for Thanksgiving, you should, you should talk to my friend who adopted from Ukraine, um, you know, just learn her story. And I said, yeah, I would love to. Um, and so, so we did. And um, of course she shared about the the deep need of children um, in Ukraine, which we know exists all over the world. And um, so, yeah, that, that's how we essentially got led to Ukraine. And that was um, in like June of, of 2016 and kind of just started um, our journey to really dive in and, and, and figure out how all this works. And um, yeah, so sorry, the longer the short is yeah. that's how we ended on yeah. Ukraine. I love it. Love it. Very similar, almost like just, it just sort of falls in your lap in a way. The Lord definitely leads um, yeah. and, and we follow, we put our yes on the table. Right. So tell us about that journey to bring your daughter home. What was that process like? Yeah. So it's a very unique journey, a very long journey to your point, not what I recommend because it is so hard and it is so long. Um, but we, um, we participated in a hosting program and, um, hosting programs are not adoption programs. Right. Um, they are programs to help children have a safe place to be in the summer when orphanages are consolidated. Not many caregivers um, are there as there are during the school year. And so we just said yes to start by just providing respite. And, um, and it was that first, um, my daughter now, um, it was her that was connected with us for that first hosting season. And again, since it's not it's not adoption. So, you know, she, um, uh, it was a very long journey because her parental rights, um, were in, intact. And, uh, so we just said, you know, Lord, we don't know where you're leading with this, but how can we ever say no to continuing to host a child in need? So she visited us for four summers and four winters. And, um, through that journey, unfortunately, because again, we have always held our hands open with Lord, whatever, the plan is for this child that you have, we want to support that. And um, unfortunately, parental rights ended up being severed. Her family was not able to um, to take her back and she became available for adoption. And so, as I said, our story is very unique in the sense that we had several, um, you know, years of, of knowing her, praying alongside her, the prayer of Lord, help us to want what you want. Um, and, you know, when we finally got to, um, the place where she was available for international adoption, it was March of March 17th of 2020, when we were supposed to travel, um, of to course. go start. Mm. <laughs> and that of course, in the 16th was in the whole world shut down yeah. because of it and flights. And my husband and I just looked at each other and we were, you know, like, really good. After all of this, we're finally at this point. And of course, at that time, fear sets in because you think to yourself, 
is, is adoption ever going to happen again? Like, what is this world pandemic we're in? Right. Will adoptions ever start? And, you know, Ukraine was one of the first countries to open up international adoptions again um, in July of 2020. And so, you know, the Lord doesn't always show us his plans or purpose for what we're going through. And I, I praise him that I do feel like he has showed us why this ended up being our story because of COVID we did not want to get stuck in travel bans. And so we stayed for the three month um, process to be completed in Ukraine um, from July to October. And it was during that time that we really got our eyes opened wide to the stories of the other children in her orphanage um, because we were allowed to visit her. Um, and so we got to do arts and crafts and activities and, and really get to spend COVID with, with her and her friends. And it was there that I, I learned their stories. I learned, um, you know, each child's story is so different. You learn about the families that probably could have gotten their children back with a little support. Yeah. Um, the ones that are just stuck in this, you know, red tape, um, and it really just, I, I knew looking back, I know it was the Lord giving me that time to really stir my heart to understand um, this is the plight of the orphan. Um, and long story short, when we, when we came back home, um, it, it was, you know, it's hard to unsee the things that you've seen. Right. And so um, ended up leaving corporate America to pursue nonprofit and in the orphan care space. And it's just been um, a clear, a clear calling and a contentness, a contentness and what I, what I get to spend my day doing every day that um, yeah, had not been there before, but. Yeah, I definitely want to, we're going to get to that with the work that you're doing now with the organization that you're with, but um, it's so interesting because when we knew that we were adopting from Ukraine we went through and applied um, submitted all our dossier was over there. We had been approved for um, initially two children. That's what we were going to go for. We wanted siblings um, and we were waiting and anticipating any day. Now we're going to be told what our travel date is so that we can go to Ukraine. And this was, this was um, so January of 2006 rolls around. We had been approved in the fall. We were waiting for that date uh, and Ukraine closes down their adoption program to reorganize it. And we were all mm -hmm. told we're going to, you know, everybody gets a registration number. We're going to, we're going to pick up where we left off with the numbers when we reopened, but there was no promise of when that would be. So we, wow. that was January. So, you know, the months clicked on all of our documents and our dossier expired, all of the notary, all of that. So we had to redo okay. The entire, uh, the entire dossier, all that paperwork had to, everything had to be done over. And I was like, if, if I have to do all this over, I think we should adopt four kids, which my husband was like, you know, the deer in the headlights, like four. So we compromised on three. So we updated everything. And, and, and since I had to do that anyway, we made, we put it in for three kids, got approved for that. Um, and Ukraine reopened nine months later, actually it was almost 10 months later because it was October. Um, and we learned um, at the end of October that we had an appointment date because things had reopened and they started issuing those appointment dates again. Um, and so we we traveled right after Thanksgiving in 2006 um, for our kids. And 
if we had gone like as soon as I wanted to go, you know how you're like anxious to go. My bags were packed, you know, a whole year earlier. We wouldn't have gotten the kids that we got because we did a blind adoption. We'd mm-hmm. never hosted. We had no idea. We had to go in and do the whole look at pictures in the book and, you know, all of that. And the Lord made it very clear in that meeting who our children were to be. And we adopted the, these three siblings. And I, I, this whole story is unpacked in, in our in my book, but that's just it. It was like, had we gone as soon as I wanted to, right? If there hadn't been that long delay, we wouldn't have adopted the children that we have. And we know that these kids are our kids, right? So God always has a plan, but the waiting is like, you know, what? <laughs> Why are we going through this? But there is a reason, a reason behind the wait. So, um, but Heather, let's get, so you brought your daughter home. How old was she when she came home? 12. 12 when she finally came home. And then interestingly, I'll put this little tidbit in there. Our older two out of the three that we brought home first had been hosted by another American family in another state two summers in a row. Oh, wow. And that family did want to adopt them. And our old, the oldest boy who was nine at the time, he didn't want to be, he did not want to be adopted by them. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're driving out to their orphanage and, and through, and through, uh, interpreter were finding out that oh yes these kids were hosted and oh they didn't want to live with that american family and i'm thinking well if they didn't say yes to that family who had them two summers in a row why would they say yes to us on the first meeting because essentially that's what was going to have to happen for the paperwork to move forward and um um, but they did and there's a whole story behind that i'll save that for another time i some of our listeners know but you'll i'll send you my book and you'll and you'll get to read it but it was such an incredible story, but it's so funny because they had been hosted. So they, you know, they were a little bit familiar. They had some English words, not a whole lot, but it's definitely a crazy journey. But I, for that first adoption, I was there for six weeks um, and in the orphanage and getting to know the other kids and, and all of that. So you do, your eyes are opened um, and, and you're, and you just can't, you can't not do something about it after that, even though we adopt and we feel like, okay, we did our part. There's so much more that I believe the Lord calls us to. So I wanted to ask you about the adjustment. So 12 years old, um, you know, what was that adjustment? Like, even though you've hosted her, you know, a number of times when she was finally with you longer than what the hosting time was, how did that go? How was, how's the adjustment been? Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, absolutely. Um, it has its challenges, um, as we know, children who had spent so much time in an in institutional setting. Um, and I don't know why, but those, those, that four months of COVID changed her. I, I saw it change a lot of kids because they lost all hope in those four months, not knowing what was going to happen, um, what the future looked like and their prospects for family, if ever. Right. And so I think after experiencing um, just, yeah, so much trauma, so much fear coming to a place where she had been before. And there was some initial, what we call, you know, felt safety. She knew she was safe with us. Um, there was still a lot of, um, just learning how to live in a, in a family day in, day out. You know, kids come from, for hosting, it's not real life. It's summer Christmas break. Now we're having to do school online. Mm -hmm you know, oh yeah, Uh, in the cold Chicago fall. And, um, it was hard. It was really, 
really hard. And I never thought I would be, I could do homeschooling, but essentially that's what I was doing because of COVID. And I, and again, I see the Lord's wisdom in it because it gave us so much time to be so close um, throughout, throughout the day and, and really helping me understand where she was and not just from an educational standpoint, but just in a being able to um, listen to a teacher and respect and, you know, all the things, but, um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, during my time of her, um, being in Ukraine and I had quit my job for the adoption, which now had been on pause for four months. It was during that time that I became, um, a TBRI practitioner and really decided, you know what, I really need to equip myself. Um, because, yeah even though I know her, there's still so much I'm going to be, you know, unpacking. And, um, it was there that I learned when I saw when she was home, what I would have normally seen as willful disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to, uh, and it's, it's still work, right? We don't, we know what we need to do, but it's always every day having to apply it, but the whole eyes of empathy and being able to understand that. And when she was in that orphanage, she was in survival mode. She was trying to get what she could. So just, you know, again, with all, with most of these children, there's a lot of um, manipulation, but they don't see it as manipulation. They don't see it as it's survival. I mean, it is survival. Um, and then, and then just, just little things in terms of like, you know, they didn't have, Kleenex in her orphanage. They don't have, you know, there's a lot of things that just like learning <laughs> hygiene and learning like just all the things you learn as a kid from your mom growing up, you know, that she didn't, um, they weren't habits. Um, so yeah, lots of adjustment. And of course the language barrier, um, it's hard to understand, um, initially, even though she had a good amount of English, it wasn't, um, enough to really understand a lot of things. And so ha- having to unpack, unpack what is, um, what are her needs and what can I figure out with the limited language that I'm being given? Right. And so it just, we're in a place now, I feel like in year three, um, so much more settled, but still, still learning, um, still adjusting. But I will say the first, the first two years, um, were really constantly, I felt like just on the, the tip of our, you know, edge of our seat, just trying to, to navigate it all and making sure that we're not missing anything, um, and serving her, her well. But, um, yeah, I know, I know we shared a little bit before, um, this, um, podcast, how even just 10 years ago, there was not a lot of information out there on how to parent well children from hard places, or even just understand them to know how to approach a situation. And I'm so thankful for, for, um, even the work you do and and the work that's out there now for us parents who are, um, helping these kiddos. Yeah. There's so much more now between all of the connected parenting stuff and, and, and TBRI. And then we were talking about the, all the things out there now on, on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and the training that we're offering. Um, so vital, such vital resources for every foster and adoptive parent. And I think that one good thing also that came out of COVID was now the ability to have all this training online. Uh, so you don't even have to leave your house, right? You don't have to get the sitter. You can do these things and have that training and support groups and all kinds of things like support that we couldn't get before that they either didn't exist or we couldn't get to them. So I think that there's been, there's been definitely an improvement there with families being able to access some of this great stuff. Um, so I want to, Heather, ask you about a family for every orphan. What led you 
to to become the executive director there? Yeah. So uh, along my journey in Ukraine, I had gotten connected to um, national organizations in Ukraine that were a partner of a family for every orphan. And so while I was in country, one of those partners said, hey, um, would love for you to come have dinner with us. And the, at the time, the executive director of a family for every orphan who was living in, in Kiev. And so um, I got to meet her and just fell in love with what I was hearing about the organization because at that particular point in my journey, um, I had become very passionate about um, just work being done to reform child welfare policies, as I had seen how it keeps so much these children under the red tape. And this is an organization that that focuses on that, which to me was very unique. I hadn't heard of a lot of organizations um, that focused on, you know, helping get proper case management for children or making sure social investigations are happening and, and helping, you know, fuel some of that work. And so, um, so yeah, so um, this, this role became uh, available um, not much longer after my daughter um, had kind of transitioned into school full time. I didn't know when I'd be able to go back to work, but she ended up transitioning relatively well. And so, yeah, took this, this role on. Wow. Love that. So, so tell us about the work of a family for every orphan. Yeah. So, um, so family for every orphan started in 2010 in Ukraine and it started out as just a couple of folks who decided that they wanted to help children stay in their family. So it was very much just helping build an outhouse, put a roof over the head, making sure they have a boiler because, you know, kids can get removed from their home if the home does not stay above 65 degrees and, um, things like that family preservation work. And, um, over the years, as more relationships were built and the organization began to understand more of the situation, it it started taking a more holistic approach. And so really um, partnering with local NGOs to um, that were advancing and really championing family-based care. And so these are partners that work with um, government leaders um, and with the community and, of course, directly with children, vulnerable children and their families. And so, as I mentioned, it's it's a unique model in the sense that um, it's all done through tight partnerships with local NGOs. So organizations that are on the ground that understand the local context and have the right relationships to really drive change. And at the end of the day, um, they are all focused on what we call our three R's, helping children in this order, remain in, reunite with, or regain a family through um, mm -hmm. foster or adoption. And so the type of work that they do is, again, around family preservation, so prevention, um, child protection, so really working with um, policy reform, promotion. So we what we know is that um, a significant portion of children fostered or adopted are done so by Christians, people in the church. And so we work really closely with a large network of um, churches to help promote the vision of children belonging in families and then preparing. So a lot of work to equip caregivers before and then after, because we know there's support needed on both ends. And so um, our mission is simply to help children find a path into a safe and loving family. And um, yeah, and that's in their in their home country. So for like you're so you're working in Ukraine, and it's really to to really 
equip and preserve Ukrainian families or getting Ukrainian Christians involved in caring for Oops, orphans. I hit the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> Talking with my hands, but I get excited about this because I've been to Ukraine and I know, um, and I'll ask you shortly what impact the war has had on the children there, but are you working with other in other countries beside Ukraine? Yes. Yeah, so out of a, a couple dozen partners, um, half of them are in Ukraine. So predominantly um, Ukraine and post other post-Soviet countries such as um, Kyrgyzstan, um, and Romania, and then in Paraguay, Ghana, and um, Paraguay, and in, in India. Um, but yes, predominantly in in Ukraine, given that's where the the organization started. Yeah, I love that because um, I I remember seeing when we were visiting our kids in the orphanage that there were Ukrainian families coming to visit their children. Because there wasn't like a foster care system like we have here. So the children would go into the orphanage and their their birth family would go visit because then the government orphanage could put the shelter over the roof over their head and the food in their belly um, to a certain extent. Um, but So it was it was like I just always I remember being shocked, like I thought all these children were orphaned, but yep. they really weren't all orphans. No, you're absolutely right. Um, the statistic in Ukraine is that 90 percent have family, have parental rights intact. Um, and hence, to your point, our mission is to help them find safe and loving families in their home country. Of yeah. course, like I adopted internationally. Every child is a different story and there only needs right. to be more paths to get children in family ultimately. Um, but what we see is that as international um, adoption rates are declining um, and learning more about what can be done to open this pipeline or, you know, even just a little bit more to get more children and families um, in their home country or, of course, through re reunification is where, as an organization, we place our focus. Wow. Incredible. So I love, I love that work because we do a lot of, um, here in the States, our, one of the things that our nonprofit does is Care Portal. Not sure yeah. if you're familiar with Care Portal. So it's very similar, right? Because we're trying to support um, birth families, strengthen families, keep kids in their families, or if you, we have to make a kinship placement. Um, but it's a lot of that family preservation stuff. Like you mentioned the boiler or these other things to help a family be able to keep their kids at home. Very similar to what we do here in the States with, with care portal. So I love th that whole concept. So now, so what has been the impact of the war in Ukraine on the work that you're doing there? And really more importantly on the children, on the orphans. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, gosh, so the war has impacted, of course, the children in orphanages dramatically. I think um, if, if I break down the numbers, so before the war, there was about 100,000 children in institutions. And when the war broke out, about 40,000 were sent back to their families, many of them at, at risk. Um, about right now, the thought is about 20,000 were taken into Russia mm. and about 5,000 were evacuated to neighboring EU countries. And then there's a portion that remain um, in institutions in safer regions of Ukraine. So when about, I guess it was January, so almost a year ago, um, First Lady Olena Zelenska announced that um, as one of their commitments to the EU, they would be transitioning out of a system of institutional care for children into a system of family-based care. And so our dozen partners who family-based care has been something they've been championing for decades now, 
their work has exploded. They're doing things they've never done before at a scale they've never done before. Um, and so it's been a very pivotal time in Ukraine for um, care reform for Ukrainian children. And so, of course, right now there's a big um, Russian focus on identifying those families who had children returned to them to make sure they are getting um, what they need. Because what we know is that in a time of crisis, when a family's needs are not met, that that is when children are at a really high risk of being abandoned, trafficked, or going back into institutional care. Um, and so there's this whole prevention piece, right, in terms of uh, the re most recent stat I heard was that about 67,000 children have been orphaned as the result or, and so while some of them are still, many of them are still with um, their remaining parent, obviously we know um, a single mom, a single dad caring for their child and also having to find a way to put food on the table. It's, it's very difficult right. uh, for them to also care for the children. And so we know that all these children are at very high risk again of going into institutional care. And so um, a family for every orphan works with a, with a global network of um, large INGOs to help um, just drive recommendations and support Ukraine in whatever way they need to help just change their, their system. And so we know that starts with developing and, and making sure there's an awareness to why family-based care is better. Again, these are, this is a post-Soviet country where, um, you know, the that has typically been orphanages, institutions can take better care of a child, um, mainly from the physical care and educational standpoint. But what we what we know because of the past decade or so of research is that um, children belong in families and that's where they're able to develop and thrive with that connection and that that whole um, yeah trajectory of a child's life improves when they are in family. And so getting that message out is something that our partners are really focused on right now um, because you have to build up this pipeline, if you will, of foster parents to step up and adoptive parents to step up for all these children um, in need. And so um, there's definitely no, no shortage of work to do really in any country when you talk about orphan care. Um, right now, I feel like there's this, this is time pressure on Ukraine, given the the, the just system change <laughs> they're in and then knowing that every day, tragically, there are more children being orphaned by war. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I always, you know, I feel like when I talk about this, it gets really heavy and I have to yeah. one, thank the Lord that, you know, we get to be part of the hope, right? Um, our partners are there and they are working every day to, again, provide the, the family at risk with the resources they need and help shape welfare policy and processes to help figure out what what is the new way, what is the better way to make family care a priority and the first solution for children in need. I love that because I agree. And as the word says, children belong in families, right? That's that's how God created that yep. family unit. And that's where kids belong, not in in uh orphanages or institutions. And I still, I still hear it from Christians. I was just, somebody was from another church was telling me something today and they're like, oh yeah, we want to start an orphanage in Africa. And I'm like, you know, there's a better way. There's a better way for the church to be involved. And, you know, I guess to a certain extent, there maybe always is a tiny need, you know, to certain parts of the world for there to be a safe place for kids to land. But 
we know kids belong in families and the church can can wrap around and support families so that kids can stay in their family. So it's such but, important work. Yeah, one really encouraging um, piece of information that was shared with us this past year is that um, one of our partners in Romania um, who has been on a similar journey um, as far as deinstitutionalization, they're a little further along in their journey, but it but similar in the sense that they've been tackling these mindsets um, of seeing children, that belief that they belong in family grow. Um, but because of their work too, with so many summits, conferences, promotional campaigns, um, they saw that domestic adoptions increased 30% um, as a result of this work. And I, it's, it's huge because again, when you think about a lot of people don't understand um, the need for mindset shift. Right. Um, but when you think about that work is really changing the culture, right. Of adoption. And so again, when we think of the barriers that keep children from being adopted, it, it can be something as simple as, is just someone understanding again, the way a child thrives in the family and that need, or just sharing with them what another family has done to adopt and bring a child into their home. I feel like what I love about podcasts like yours is you're bringing people together with shared experiences and it, it that support is just so critical. Yeah. And I love, I love that. So you, when, when you said domestic adoption with that story about Romania, it's Romanian families right. adopting Romanian children. Right. And, and yeah. it's driven when they did, um, kind of surveys to understand, well, what drove you to do this? It was these summits. It was this building community around foster and adoptive families that spur others on. And without that support, it's, it's challenging. Uh, Being able to see that grow has been really inspiring. So, well, a family for every orphan, such an inspiring organization. Um, What is the website for our listeners who may want to go check you, check it out? Sure. It's a familyforeveryorphan.org. So very easy. We'll put a link in the show notes, of course, so our listeners can go do that. And I hope that they will check it out because it's such an amazing, wonderful um, ministry and work that you're doing. And I'm personally grateful that you are on the ground there in Ukraine serving families there and and children because that, that is a place that's near and dear to my heart, too. Um, so Heather, you chose the verse I opened with, I'll read it again, uh, defend the lowly and fatherless, render justice to the afflicted and needy. That is Psalm 82 verse three. Why did you choose that verse? You know, as I mentioned, like when the Lord opened my eyes to the, the policy and and legal barriers for children, um, it's really what, yeah drove me to cling to that, that verse to spur my, my, my work and, and my passion. So there's a lot of aspects of, of orphan care. And I feel like I uniquely kind of saw that is something that there's just not a lot of focus on. And I think at the end of the day, um, restoring a sense of belonging to children in a timely matter is so critical. And it's these systems that traditionally prevent that from happening. And so, so yeah, I, that's, um, yeah, one of my, my strongest heart's desire is to see systems improve. Um, cause that shouldn't be where the barriers are. Right. Amen to that. So again, Heather, foster and adoptive parents are, 
are really primarily our listeners and you're an you're an adoptive mom i'm an adoptive mom but would you would you share some words of wisdom some encouragement for our listeners who are on this difficult parenting journey absolutely um i think my biggest one is just that it's um it's a marathon not a sprint and to cling to the the progress that you see even if it's small um and cling to other families progress. Because I know for me, when I felt like there was a a sense of hopelessness setting in, when I hear stories of children transformed, literally their brain and their hearts and therefore behavior, you know, from the love of a family, it's only going to get better as your child is in your family, because every day they're with you in that safe and loving environment, they are healing, they are growing. And so just, just trust in that. (laughs) And, and then when you see their progress, cling to that, because there will, there will be more of that. Uh, But it's, it's hard in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think there's also seasons of hard depending on, you know, ages and stages. Right. But, but by, by being able to cling to other families and, and see the transformation in their children at different seasons, we, we definitely need to link arms and be together as the foster and adoptive parent because it is a hard journey and we need to encourage one another. So Heather, love everything that you're doing um, on behalf of orphans, especially in Ukraine. Thank you so much for sharing your story, your family's story and and everything that a family for every orphan does. We will put a link in the show notes because I know it's a wonderful ministry. I hope our listeners will go and check it out. So again, Heather, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Sandra. It's a pleasure. Wow, what an incredible story. I could have talked to Heather all day because as we're both Ukrainian adoptive moms or adoptive moms of Ukrainian kids, we just had so so much to talk about before we were recording and after when I paused it. Um, So I hope you were just as inspired and encouraged by Heather's story as I am. Um, And I thank you for joining us for the adoption and foster care journey today. Um, Don't forget we have our hope for the FASD journey support group. We have our online resources for parents and caregivers caring for kids who were prenatally exposed to alcohol, whether you have a diagnosis or not. Um, Be sure to check out the show notes so you can check out um, Heather's organization, a a family for every child, uh, for every, sorry, a family for every orphan. And if you enjoy the show, again, please reach out, um, follow, subscribe, leave a review. You can find us on social media as well. Justice for Orphans has a very active uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can find me, Sandra Flack, um, on both of those, or all of those platforms as well. And again, I'm grateful to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.